Now for our main message today, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Steve Andrews and is it entitled Atonement Propitiation. I was uh, afraid to lick my envelope. I didn't know if I could make it through it if I licked my envelope. For those of us who have fasted for a number of years, it still is a daunting task. I was the one that was uh, selected last night before the Sabbath started to put all the no's on everything. I'm sure glad I did that. I just felt that was just reminding me how much I desperately needed those no's keep me out of the water, all the coffee, and all the other different things that we take for granted, except for the Day of Atonement, or whenever we fast. It's an interesting day, isn't it? Here we just got through with trumpets, the blowing of trumpets, and all that that means, and everything. And we're looking forward to what? To rejoice in the Feast of Tabernacles. Boy, are we looking forward to it. And right in the middle, God says, whoa, let's have a day of fasting. Let's have a day of atonement. Let's pay attention to me because you're not going to eat or drink. You're going to be paying attention to me. And all the children of Israel were commanded, weren't they? Just as we are. And so they had that camp full of fasting people listening to God. So this is the Day of Atonement. We will start out in Leviticus 23. I'm hoping to build an interesting scenario today, something that most of us understand and can relate to. And I want to tie in atonement to what the New Testament calls propitiation. And that's kind of a tongue twister, so if, if, if I don't get it right, don't worry. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different, a different world. So let's, let's start out, and I'm going to do a little bit different today, because I am going to try, whoops, I already got started on the wrong foot. I am going to try to use my iPad and my e-sword today because I think some of these words are so very important that, are, that we were, are going to be reading and that if we just read over them, we're not going to understand. We're just going to read over them and they're, and they're not going to have the same depth of meaning unless I can bring the, the, some of this depth of meaning out. So we're going to try to do that today and hopefully I'll be able to uh, keep a dry and a wet enough mouth that we can get through this. Let's see, it's 2 o'clock and we've got to go to 7. I, I ought to have plenty of time to do that. I, so, and we'll see whether, which one gives out first, uh, my message or my throat or the time. So we'll see here. Beginning in Leviticus 23, verse 1. I'd like to, to, to read this first verse. I always like to read this because these days are not mine. I want to, be, I want to remind everybody, and if you're listening to me on the, on the Internet, on our, our our cast. These are not my days. 
These don't belong to Lawrence or Barnabas or Matt. These are the Lord's days. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. He says, uh, the word concerning is in italics, but I think you get it. The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even, even these are my feasts. And the word Lord there is the Tetragamarian, however you want to pronounce it. Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, that is the, the one that is, is writing these and told Moses, this is what you're going to be doing. You shall proclaim. I like that word. Proclaim. I, I picked it up. Um, I use Brown Driver and Briggs because there's a lot more output than Strong's Concordance, but some of the same things will be in Strong's Concordance the way as this is. It's to call, to call out, to recite, to read, to cry out or proclaim. So that's what we do on the holy days, isn't it? We open the Bible and we read and we study and we meditate and we, we're, we're called out to come together. So, we're to proclaim to be holy, holy. Wait a minute. Didn't God say something about being holy? I am holy, so you be holy. In everything that, that, that God has written, it is for our admonition, for our understanding, and for our growth as holiness to him, to being holy to him. And it's interesting that this, this word here, convocation, convocation, convoking, reading, a calling together, called out. If you go back into the New Testament, what word do we find there? Ecclesia. What's an ecclesia? What's ecclesia? The church. What, we, what does it mean? Called out. So that's the reason why they could say that the children in the wilderness or in church, because they did holy convocations. They did holy services. They kept the Sabbath. They kept the holy days. They came together. They were called out on, this, on these days. And so we see that these are the Lord's days, and they're holy. And where do you expect God is going to be on these days? He's going to be looking down on us those of us that are coming together who are being called out having holy convocations, isn't he? So let's go to verse 26 of Leviticus 23 and let's look at this day as it is written in Leviticus. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, also in the 10th, and the word day is in, in italics, but it's understood, 10th day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. Now that word is kippur, or atonement, and that's all it means. And I, the reason why I, I brought that up, because there are other words that are attached to this day. So we're going to look at those also. So, it's a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you. You shall afflict your souls. And that's what we're doing today. That's what fasting is all about, afflicting our souls. And I didn't, I won't go into that and... and and express it or anything in the sermon today. Uh, Art went through the fast and all the different uh, uh, verses there, so 
We'll leave it at that, but that's what we're doing today. We're afflicting our souls. We're coming before God. He has commanded us to do that. So it's a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. Offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And we just did that. We offered from our substance. You shall do no work in that day, this, that same day. For it is a day of atonement. To make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. That word is very interesting and very, very critical. That word is a little, little bit different. That word is to make a, uh, an atonement is, and I can't pronounce it, kippar. It's not kafir. It's not the other one. It's it's a little different. It's 3722 if you're interested. But it's to cover, to purge, to make an atonement, make reconciliation. Cover over with pitch. The first time it's ever found is when Noah is told to put pitch on the ark. To cover the ark with pitch. He made an atonement over the, the ark. But that's where that word comes from. So it is to coat or to cover with pitch. To cover over. Pacify. Pro, propitiate. Brown, Driver, and Biggs use the word Propitiate. Now, we're going to come to that in the New Testament, and we'll see where that comes in. So, as part of what we, we have here on the Day of Atonement. He says, For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that does not any, doeth any work in that day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And it shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. It's a true Sabbath. Miriam loves this Sabbath. She doesn't have to fix anything for, for services. She actually can study and rest and, and really uh, enjoy this day. Because it truly is a Sabbath of rest. We can spend time with God. We can actually rest, not worried about food, sometimes worrying a little bit about water, making it through this, but not having to worry about those things. We can actually come to God. And as we have afflicted our souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even, shall you celebrate your Sabbath. Now, there are two events that happens. One happens every 50th year. The other one is supposed to happen every year that the high priest was to do. And it was to make an atonement for the children of Israel. Now, I gave, I wasn't going to read the whole thing, but I, I think I am going to go to Leviticus, the 16th chapter. And Brian, I am going to start on verse 1. I hope that doesn't throw you off too much, but I am going to start on verse 1 because I think this... I think this. Um, I think that does need to be read. Not necessarily are we, everybody understanding it the same way, and that's okay. That's all right. Uh, some understand it one way, and some understand it the other. But I think that it does need to be read, and it needs to be understood to the best of our ability. And the Lord called unto Moses and spoke unto him. This is verse one of chapter sixteen of Leviticus out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, 
if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, excuse me, uh-oh, I did it, Leviticus 16 and verse 1. Let's try, let's try it again. I think I've got the right one this time. And the Lord spoke unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron your, your brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place wherein is the veil before the mercy seat. And if you look that one up, that is another derivation of Kippur. It's corporeth. It does mean mercy seat or place of atonement. It's kind of interesting. Which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and he shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen miter and he shall be attired uh, he shall be attired, these are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and shall put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself. Now I'm not going to belabor making an atonement, but it's found 13 times in this particular chapter. Make an atonement is, if I can find it again, <laughs> there it is, is kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R, but that's, I'm sure it's different in the Hebrew, and I'm sure I'm, I'm abusing the, the Hebrew in that, to cover, purge, make an atonement, make reconciliation, cover over with pitch, again, to coat, to cover, to pitch, to cover over, pacify, propitiate. So, I belabored that one. But every time that that comes up, remember that. It's a part of this process to make an atonement for himself and for the house and for the sins of Israel. And it will come up very, very often. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, and one of the lots for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And that's the Azazel. And when you bring that up, it, it says, entire removal, scapegoat, refers to the goat used for the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it says the meaning is still uh, a little dubious. So, and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, or the Azazel, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement. So here it is again. With him, and let, let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So even this live goat was to make an atonement. Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock for the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take of the censer full of the burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord in his hands, full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring within the veil. This is the only time that the high priest could go. Anybody, <laughs> not just the high priest, but anybody 
could go. The high priest could only go behind the veil one time a year on the Day of Atonement. So this is it. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat. That is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his fingers upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do it with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And he shall take of the blood of that bullock and the blood of the goat and put them on the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and howl it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So you see what's going on? This is a process that God has given to cover the sins of Israel. Yearly, before, and it's interesting, this happened before the Feast of Tabernacle. You are to go and rejoice. Their sins are covered. So they could. God was, was really showing great and wonderful mercy on his people. Considering some of the things that Israel did, and even though he had to chastise him a lot, he was very, very merciful and loving to, to his people. And when he has made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all the transgressions and all their sins, putting upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the, the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And, uh, traditionally, we've felt like that was um, you know, being Satan having all of those sins of all of mankind being put on. But maybe there's other things to look at in that. I don't know. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto the land not inhabited, and shall go to uh, the goat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offerings of the people and, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall, be the, shall he burn upon the altar. And, shall let, and he, he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes bathe his flesh in water, and afterwards come into the camp, and the bullock for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into to make an atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth uh, without the camp, and they shall burn the fire in the fire of their skins and their flesh, and they're done. And now here we come to the, to the end of this here. And he that burns them shall wash his clothes and, and bathe his 
flesh in the water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. And, there shall be a, and this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at, at all, whether it be uh, one in your country or a stranger that sojourns among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement. See, over and over. What, this is what I've always thought. If, if there's a, something that's said three times, well, how about 13 times? <laughs> how important is that one word? How important is that in this particular instance? For, to make an atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest whom you shall anoint and whom you shall consecrate to minister the priest office in his father's stead shall make an atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. And it shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded. And so we have, we might even call this the make an atonement ritual. Because that's what it was, to make an atonement for the children of Israel to cover their sins. And they were clean. God says they were clean. They could walk off of that. They could go to the Feast of Tabernacles with, a, with rejoicing. One other, one other day that is on this particular time is found in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. I'm going to cover this one here just real quickly. In the beginning in verse 8. eight. You shall number seven Sabbaths. 25 verse 8. You shall number, shall number seven Sabbaths of years unto you. Seven times seven years. And, sh and the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto you forty and nine years. Then shall you cause the trumpet of the Jubilee. And this is... Uh, an alarm, a trumpet of the jubilee to sound. Now see, this trumpet is the ram's horn or the shofar. So they were to sh they were as we had earlier, as Ridge did. The shofar was to be sounded, especially on this day. Um, to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement shall you make a trumpet sound throughout all your land. And you shall howl the fifty year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. And you can read the rest of that, but this was also a part of what God has set up. That every fiftieth year, there was to be a release and, uh, and freedom. and uh, God is... He's loving and merciful. He wanted to see the children of Israel having all the benefits. God's grace and mercy for those who obey him is unbelievably wonderful. Before I go into the New Testament, let's, let's turn to Psalms. The Psalms. And let's turn to Psalm 103. I think this is one of the most beautiful Psalms 
that, would, that fits in very, very well, I think, with today. God's mercy, God's love. God is holy. I mean, we're human. We're, we're finite. We have a finite time on this earth. This is a psalm of David. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Do you feel like God is doing that for each and every one of you? I mean, even though we sometimes have trials and tribulations, if we're obeying God, if we're keeping his commandments and doing what we should be doing before God, do we feel like that, that he is merciful to us, has tender mercies towards us, who has loving kindness? Verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It's interesting that... The whole ceremony was dedicated to burying those sins of Israel. Whatever it took, whether it was sending them off or uh, a blood sacrifice or whatever, it was all from the loving God to cover those sins because he wanted them clean just like he wants us. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for men, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and the place thereof shall know no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them the fear him and his righteousness unto the children, children. It's interesting that even in the days like this, I, 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 we didn't mention Ron Elkins, a lot of us know him, just suddenly also passed away just before the holy days, just before the atonement. Just be, and I, <laughs> He's the one I used to watch it. He never wanted to stand behind this, behind this thing. He wanted to always walk around and stomp and talk and, and really get excited and I, I really I really like that I, he would have a, a lot of energy and I, I think we're all going to, to miss him, I know that I will to such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them verse 19 the Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all bless the Lord ye angels that excel in strength that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless you, the Lord, all you hosts, as ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul, 
a beautiful psalm that David wrote. Let's turn to such a very familiar scripture. As I prepare for this next portion of this, John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world, and Jesus is the one that said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes uh, is believing. And by the way, in the King James, that, that believeth is, is, an, uh, is an ongoing thing. Whoever is continually believing, because that's what we're doing, we're here, we're believing that we should be here in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God wants. He wants his children into the kingdom. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now we're, we're going to look at some things here in, in the scriptures that now will tie in the Old Testament and the New Testament and looking at Jesus Christ and the redemption that comes through Christ. Let's go to Romans now, the third chapter. Romans 3, come on Romans, and we'll pick it up in verse, I think 21 is where I want, but I'm not sure about that. I'm not going to explain this, but I'm just going to read this. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God is which which is by faith. Actually, it's the faith of Jesus that we're talking about, Jesus Christ unto all and upon all and them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what about the Israelites? They, they were sinned. They had sinned. And so God had provided something very special. It was called the Day of Atonement, that he covered those sins. We... <laughs> in this modern age, have not escaped that thing called sin. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Of course we have. But it goes on, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, I love that word, redemption. Oops, I lost it. That's not what I mean. Um, oh, I've got to go to my lexicon. This is a different lexicon. It is. I'm going to go to Thayer's this time for this one. A releasing effected by payment of ransom. What ransom was paid? We all know in this room the life of Jesus Christ. It also means redemption and deliverance. Liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Liberation procured, procured, procured by the payment of a ransom. I thought that was a very interesting definition of the word redemption. That is in, where does it come from? Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. 
to try to pronounce that about three or four times. That word is a fairly large, has a lot of dictionary meaning. Relating to an appeasing or expiating, having placated or expiating force. Expiatory, a meaning of appeasing or expiating a propitiation. Used to cover the Ark of the Covenant of the Holy of Holies. Now, here's the interesting. Used to cover the Ark of the Holy of Holies, which is sprinkled with the blood of the expiatory victim on the annual day of atonement. This rite signifying that the life of the people, the loss of which they had merited by their sins, was offered. So, we have this word, propitiation, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See the tie-in? See how it ties in? See how Christ now is. Those sacrifices, all of that ties in. To Jesus Christ. He says, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might just uh, be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. How far did I want to go? I wanted to go through. Uh, that, that's where I wanted to stop, verse 26. So, we see that. Redemption, propitiation, the lid of the ark, the mercy seat. Uh, remember also that the blood of Christ, his blood to declare his righteousness in Passover. What did Jesus say? If you don't drink my blood and eat, eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. All of these tie back together, don't they? They all kind of tie together. And if you look at them, you realize that God is making a, a tremendous uh, worldview uh, that he is putting together through Jesus Christ. And it will include all of humanity as we're going to see. Let's, that's the first place that we find propitiation. Let's go to the second place. And that's going to be in 1 John. That's going to be in the second chapter, if I can get 1 John up. And it will be in um, verses 1 through 3. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Whatever be in the kingdom, we will have no sin. We will be perfect there. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I think this is one of the more profound things that's written. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Sets in the right hand of the Father. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. His sacrifice was for the sins of all mankind. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We could go on with that, but let's do... Chapter 4, 1 John 4, and, and beginning of verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, brethren, you and I, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world 
that we might live through him. Herein is the love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And appeasing. It's a little different. It's a little different word. That's the reason why I, I wanted to go to this one. And appeasing. If I try to pronounce that word again, I'll be, really be in trouble. And the means of appeasing or a, a propitiation. And I didn't um, have this one, but I want to I read this one also. So, let's go to Romans, the fifth chapter. And I, didn't have, I didn't give this one to, to Brian, but I was, as I was studying, I came up with this one. And this one fits very, very well, beginning in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet prevention for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See how it all fits together? Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. And not only so, but also uh, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. The atonement. The exchange. Adjustment of the difference. Reconciliation. Restoration to favor. The atonement with God. That favor that we, that the, once those sins were covered by Israel, God's favor was there. Well, Jesus has done that for us and is doing that for us and continues to do that for us. 1 Corinthians, let's go to the next part. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, as we see, Jesus also, beginning in verse 19, a little slow I know, it's coming. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, when we are baptized, we, we receive the remission of sins, we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. What we should understand is that at that time, Christ bought us through His sacrifice. We were bought with a price. Chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter just one verse here, verse 23, to emphasize this. You are bought with a price. Be not you servants of men. When it comes down to, to obedience, who do we obey? Do we obey God or do we obey the world? The world is going to start squeezing Christians and it already has. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to have to, to really uh, be strong in because the world is going to very, very be strong. And so obedience to God 
because God, Christ, has paid the price. He has bought us, so we're not to be servants of men. Let's go to 1 Peter as we continue the, this thought of this. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse, 1, in verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. So here's this word redeemed. To, to release on receipt of ransom. To redeem. Liberate by payment of ransom. To liberate. The cause to be released of oneself by payment of a ransom, or to redeem. So, so we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conduct, even though that in the King James it says conversation. It actually means conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot. The Israelites were to bring, those two goats actually were without spot, without blemish. You never brought anything to God that had spot or blemish on it for sacrifice. You just didn't. You, sec, you selected the best out of your herd. You gave the best without spot or blemish. And Christ was without spot and blemish who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as the grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, and the grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which the gospel is preached unto you. Believing that that word is eternal, never to pass away. Believe in it, brethren. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the sacrifice. Believe that you have been redeemed. Let's go to Ephesians, the first chapter. And I think I'll just start in verse 1. I like, I like Paul's entries. And that's not the right one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be you, be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us, uh, us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
according to the riches of His grace, wherein He has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that we receive forgiveness and redemption. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which is purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard that the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of purpose, uh, of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. That's going to happen at the, as the resurrection, brother. When we're resurrected, all of that, he will redeem us and we will be spirit beings. I know that was a lot of words and I read it very quickly. But understand, God is working a purpose out through Jesus Christ and through that blood that was sacrificed. It is a marvelous thing that God is working in each and every one of us. And we should be very thankful for this day of atonement and this blessing that it has. Now let's really look at the atonement versus what's going on in heaven today. Because now Christ is, is not on the earth. He's up in heaven. And he's doing work. I guarantee you the Father and the Son are not sitting still. They are working. <laughs> and even though this is a fast day and a slow day for us, they are still there and they are still available for us to come to them and to pray and all of the various things that God is doing right now. So let's look. This is going to take a little bit, but I want you to understand what the book of Hebrews does is explains that day of atonement now and what's going on today in heaven. What the redemption, the um, how that they're working this out, how they're getting ready to, to, to bring us into the family. All of this uh, has purpose and meaning and direction. So let's begin in verse 11 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. He says, if, there were perfection, if, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there's made a necessity of change in the law. Now, there was a lot of laws that went along with the Levitical priesthood. So, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the laws that have to do with the, the, the priesthood. For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of endless life. 
For he, he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there verily and a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of better hope by which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, for these priests were made without oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swore and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that's what Christ right now is a priest before the Lord, for God, the Father, after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. In the book of Hebrews, anytime you see that word better, that is so profound. It, it really doesn't stand out in, in, the, uh, in Strong's or Thayer's commentary. But whenever you read it and you listen to it being read, and, and it's being used several times in the, in the book of Hebrews, it, is, it, it can mean more excellent. It's better test, better covenant. And by the way, 1242 is actually can be translated testament or covenant. Better covenant. By so much was Jesus made a surety for a better covenant. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So when Aaron died, his son took over. Well, when his, his Aaron's son died, his son took over. And so there was uh, a, a succession of Aaronic priesthood. And they had to be in that, in that succession for them to be the high priest. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God. By him seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. Christ right now is at the right hand. And he can make intercession for us. We can go to on our knees and we can pray to God. And we can ask. And he will make intercession. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the peoples, and for the, uh, this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law makes men high priests, which have in, uh, infirmity, but the word of oath, which was since the law, makes the son who consecrated who is consecrated forevermore. He has a very high position. And we're very thankful that he's there. Now, of the things which he has spoken, this is the son, that we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which, is the, Lord, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So maybe when this was written, the priesthood was still there, and they were still offering those sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, and Passover and all of the other days, and that they were still offering those. 
who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God. This is very interesting and very profound because Moses was told, you've got to make these things exact. And not only that, they, the Spirit was given to these individuals who were making this tabernacle so that they could make it exact. And he had to make it in the right way. See, says he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed to you in the mount. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. And as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was in, established upon better promises. I love that word. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, says, he said, Behold, the day comes, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, said the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their heart, into their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant he has made, the first old. Now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish. And verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. We just read about them. And more, because there was a lot of different things that were done on daily basis and, and, and at the feast. And there was a lot of ordinances that went with the children of Israel in the wilderness and then also when they had they entered into the promised land and then when they also when they had the, the, the temples the two temples so all of these things uh, he's he's kind of bringing this in and helping us to understand it in a deeper manner for there was a, a tabernacle made the first wherein the candlestick the table and the showbread which is called the sanctuary and after the second veil the tabernacle that is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the, of the covenant laid, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of that which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accompanying, accompanying the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as yet the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that made the service perfect as pertaining to to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and different washings and carnal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of Reformation. But Christ, Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, a greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He has entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. He's obtained eternal redemption, brethren, for us, so that we could be in the kingdom for all eternity, so we can be with him and the Father for all eternity. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the, the ashes of heifers and sprinkling of unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, well, we found that out, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That spirit is what brings us together, isn't it? What tells us that God wants us to come to these holy convocations that wants us to understand what he is doing, what he is preparing, and what the future will be like. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, New Covenant. Uh, that's still 1242. It can mean testament or covenant. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressors that were under the first testament, that they are and called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament or a covenant is in force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. Whereupon neither the first was dedicated without blood, a testament or covenant. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkle both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Again, that word, better. So, it's better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the, of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's why he is there. That's why the Father has gone, and they've done all of this, so that he appears before God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look to him shall appear the second time without sin, the salvation. For the law having a shadow of things, of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, this is chapter 10, verse 1, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers unto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats 
should take away sins. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you was not, but a body have you prepared for me, a burnt offering and a sacrifice for sin. You have no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you was not. Neither have you pleasure then, which are offered by the law. Then said I, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are sanctified. We are set apart. We are made holy. We're, we're consecrated to God. Dedicated to God. Purified. Cleansed externally to God. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, let's see. Uh, I'll make sure that I didn't miss one. Which one was I on? I can't see. Okay. And every prayer stands... Uh, daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he has offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Spirit also is witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, said the Lord. I will put my laws into, uh, into their hearts and their minds, and I will write them and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there's no more an offering for sin. Let's go real quickly here to chapter 12. I think I, I had some more on that one. but I, Let's go to chapter 12, and let's finish up with these beautiful words. Hey, this is very, this is very profound. Beginning in verse 18. For you are not come into the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor with blackness, uh, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of the words which <clears throat> voice they heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain. It shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come into Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Did you know that we are the general assembly of the church of the firstborn? That is so beautiful. I love that. We are part of the general assembly and of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on the earth, much more shall we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, 
yet more, once more, I will shake not earth only, but also the heavens. And this, yet, once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire.